Mind Body Connection podcast. The Body and Mind. With your host, Dr. Phil Parker. Hey guys, welcome. It's six o'clock on Tuesday. Once again, week 14 of doing our live seminars. Uh, Welcome if you're watching this live and if you're watching this on catch up, welcome too. As ever, please leave questions, comments in the comments box. Really helpful to have you guys on the call, putting your input in, particularly with your questions, you know, what's going on for you so we can help uh, provide some solutions. If you're watching this on catch up again, please do put your, uh, your, your questions and comments even if you're watching on catch up because we'll, we'll review them and add them to next week's uh, fascinating conversation. So welcome. I'm gonna say hi to people as they come in as I see them. Hi Elaine and Fleur, uh, great to see you guys. Hope life is treating you well as we move towards, um, well, the slow easing of lockdown. Pubs are opening. Anyone go to the pub last week? I'd be interested to know if people braved that. I met some people who did and they said they decided they were going to go because they have a fear that lockdown may occur again and then they'll go, why didn't we go in that brief moment of opportunity? But today, <clears throat> oh, hi Margaret, how lovely to see you. Please do say hello to everyone else on the call. Kirsten, great to see you too. <clears throat> today I'm drinking a very weak mint tea. Hmm. So what we're talking about today, well, we've, um, uh, hi, Mary, great to see you too. We are in the middle of talking about um, relationships. We talked about last time, how to deal with difficult people. And we also started to look at the importance of not seeing us and them as a conversation. And I talked about Jeffrey Sachs, talks a lot about that. He's done a lot of work into what has caused um, conflict and trouble around the world. And he says one of the worst things that we can do as nations is start to identify us and them separate difference. So we're going to look at that leading on from that stuff. Last time we looked at, we're going to look at compassion uh, and cooperation and some, some research around the importance of compassion, cooperation, being generous to people, both with your time and sometimes with your money. And what does that do to us? And how do we develop that if we want to, if it's important for us? So that's where we're going to be going. In the process of that, uh, doing some research into it, as with all stuff around compassion, and this probably is going to be a lot of our focus today, the first thing you have to do with compassion is to be nice to yourself. And this is something, in my experience, people often find quite tricky. They often find being nice to themselves uh, a tougher gig than being nice to other people. And it's quite extraordinary. Uh, doing the lightning process is one of the things that comes up a lot. The lightning process, as many of you know, is a is an approach for helping people to resolve chronic health issues. But quite often within that conversation, uh, stuff shows up that's getting in the way of their health, which is more emotional. There's other stuff as well, but emotional stuff. And they have to start to be nice to themselves. And it's quite fascinating to see how many people who, when you look at them from the outside, you kind of go, oh, I, bet they're, I bet they're pretty nice to themselves. And it turns out they're really not. And we have a core phrase, which we keep on going on about, uh, which is, if you treated your friends like you treat yourself, 
would you have any if you treated your friends like you treat yourself would you have any and uh, for, for many of us the answer is no the things that we say to ourselves are really quite destructive and we shouldn't be doing it it's not very good for us we certainly wouldn't say it out loud in public and interestingly Kirsten Neff who's um, one of the key researchers in positive psychology into self-compassion she has an exercise which is to treat yourself like you're a friend so exactly that Interestingly, the, the, the phrase self-compassion is different from self-esteem. A lot of people have spent a lot of time looking at how do we build self-esteem. And this particular flavor is self-compassion. Self-compassion is distinguished from self-esteem. Self-esteem is like being proud of yourself and doing stuff, achieving stuff, uh, having a sense of competency. Whereas self-compassion uh, is about being kind to yourself, independent of whether you are achieving outcomes um, <clears throat> so I'm gonna look at a number of things around there and one of the ways we're gonna start off with this because if you don't know the way we tend to do this is have a chat about stuff answer questions that come up in the first 20 minutes to uh, half an hour as some more people come on the call lovely to see Ginny great to see you um, and uh, Fleur's been taking care of herself at work Michelle lovely to see you too Sarah Mary, uh, Vicky, and uh, Kate. Uh, Kirsten says, what is the best way to find compassion during a very busy work day where one must be reliant on others to accomplish their tasks? We'll be looking at that. Uh, Sarah says, how can I use the LP when I struggle with feeling feverish? Okay. A um, couple of different questions there I might dip into as we go on. First of all, we're going to answer some questions and look at some of the research and constructs and concepts around this. And then for the second half, we'll do a guided kind of visualization meditation journey into how do you develop these skills so you both understand why it's useful and, and come away with something practical and useful. Hi, Georgie. Great to see you. Congratulations. Georgie has just completed her MSc. Uh, she went from being seriously ill did the lightning process and then ended up hanging out with African elephants, I believe. Uh, so what's the best way to achieve compassion? Uh, Kirsten says, so I'll talk about that first and I'll have a quick chat about what Sarah says about the lightning process. <clears throat> so with compassion, one of the, the best things you could possibly do is number one, develop compassion to your, for yourself, which we'll be looking at. The other thing which I've talked about before, but I think it's worth men mentioning again is thinking about these different positions we can be in position one is me how i see the world position two is being getting a sense of what it's like for the other person and that's a very important part in developing compassion being able to see it the world from their point of view and like what kind of getting why are they being that way if you can take a moment to do that that very often will allow you to be a bit kinder to them also the other thing that's useful to do is to stop for a minute and think okay does being short with them brief with them blunt with them is that likely to make things occur more effectively or is that likely to make them more stressed reduce quality of relationships and in the long term create more toxic environments or is taking time to be with them and think about them and chat to them is that the most important thing now there are times of course so you're doing surgery on someone and someone drops you know the knife on the dirty floor it's the only knife you've got you might go ah you know because you're in a it's a very time pressured thing 
probably not go, oh, I wonder why you did that, what's behind that. But there are other times when it's appropriate to just pause and discuss it, or at least pause and think, what are the consequences of, of what I do? A thing that often happens in work is people tell people they're wrong and as if you've listened to any of these seminars it's a core thing i talk about humans generally and you guys are humans you'll know this hate being told they're wrong they really don't like it and they will tend to come out attacking and fighting so if you want to motivate people telling them they're wrong it's not a useful thing and we'll come to this in a minute i'm going to look at it's called some of the presuppositions of nlp so nlp uh, neurolinguistic programming brilliant stuff uh, although if you look on the internet it's it's currently being rubbished on Wikipedia as being pseudoscience, which is completely inaccurate <clears throat> because there's a lot of science to back it up, a lot of research to back it up. But NLP has a series of uh, ideas, like a thought experiments. It doesn't have a, a doctrine or a dogma. It says, what if we saw the world in this way? And I'm going to pick out the ones that are very much related to compassion that will help you to think about uh, how you can deal with other people. A uh, question from Sarah, which I'll ask briefly, answer briefly. <clears throat> How can I use the lightning process when I struggle with feeling feverish? Um, okay, well, it kind of depends a bit. If your fever is because you have uh, some kind of infection, then there's nothing really to do. If you're feverish, that's actually a good thing. Uh, if your feverishness doesn't seem to be coming for an infection, then that would suggest it's some kind of neurological pathway you've got into. So uh, that would depending on what it is you'd approach it differently my best recommendation is to talk to a practitioner and they'll talk you through how to deal with it uh, feverishness for kind of non-infectious reasons usually means there's something going on either in your nervous system possibly in your thyroid if it's a kind of temperature regulation thing or more likely a blood sugar thing but or, or or actually probably most likely it's a neurological pattern you've got used to being a certain way and that's your body's response to when it's experiencing some kind of stress and by stress I mean uh, stress like r rolling a, a lorry over a bridge so not just emotional stress but physical stress chemical stress all those kind of things so uh, a bit too complicated to answer completely in this session but talk to your practitioner that's the best place to do with that okay uh Kirsten says thanks i hope that's useful for you kirsten um any more questions good so then let's have a look uh because i know hey everybody likes uh filling in a questionnaire and doing a quiz i have the self the shortened version of the self-compassion quiz or questionnaire for you guys so get grab a pen and pencil if you have a calculator that will help you at the end but it's, the calculation should be pretty easy we're going to get you to measure your levels of self-compassion using an official self-compassion scale how's that sound exciting yeah so pen and paper all you're going to have to do is score each of these things out of five okay so let me and the other thing i know from my my previous experience doing this seminar is people love it when i press this button and i become tiny phil yeah you like that don't you Big Phil, tiny Phil. For those of you listening on audio, you'll go, what is going on? Well, I shrunk myself down so I can show the PowerPoint. So what I'd like to do, grab a pen and paper. We are going to do the self-compassion questionnaire or scale uh, developed by Kirsten Neff. So here we go. First question, what you just need to do is ask yourself on this scale between almost never, which is one, and almost always, which is five. Now, uh, just measure it like that. 
after we've shown this slide, I'm going to show you a couple of the questions you need to actually reverse the scores, but I'll talk you through that in a minute. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm glad Fleur likes Tiny Phil. So first question, guys, uh, answer this to yourself, write it down because you'll need to add up the scores at the end. Question is, when I fail at something important that's important to me, I become consumed by feelings of inadequacy. So pop yourself down at one two three four five obviously three is kind of sometimes or occasionally yeah so somewhere in the middle is, is a bit one almost never five almost always second one i try to be understanding and patient towards those aspects of my personality i don't like those of you who know me will know this is a scale that I definitely haven't designed because of the language. Um, I try to be understanding and patient towards those aspects of my personality I don't like. Number three. When something painful happens, I try and take a balanced view of the situation. Number four. When I'm feeling down, I tend to feel like most other people are probably happier than I am. So when I'm feeling down, I tend to feel like most other people are probably happier than I am. Number five, I try to see my failings as part of the human condition. Lots of words in this, <laughs> this question that I don't like. Uh, six, when I'm going through a very hard time, I give myself the caring and tenderness I need. So score those guys, all right? Just write down your scores. And then there's a slightly tricksy bit, which is, there we go. Question one and question four, you have to reverse the scores, okay? So if you put five for question one, you need to make it a one. If you put a four, you need to make it a two. And the same for question four. And the reason these these are negatively phrased questions. So just quickly check your scores on one and four and make sure, let's say if you said almost always, and it was a five, you need to reconvert it into a one to get your total score. Now there's another six questions we're gonna come on to, so let's do that. <coughs> the sound of me sneezing, brilliant. Um, so here we go. When something upsets me, I try and keep my emotions in balance. Again, score it the same way. <coughs> Excuse me. When I fail at something that's important to me, I tend to feel alone in my failure. Again, I'll be talking a little bit about why some of these words are tricksy in a minute, but let's just keep going with the scale. One of the problems you have with the research is you have to use the scales that have been what's called validated uh, using uh, science. And unfortunately, some of them could be language slightly better. Number nine, when I'm feeling down, I tend to obsess and fixate on everything that's wrong. Number 10, when I feel inadequate in some way, I try to remind myself that feelings of inadequacy are shared by most people. Number 11, nearly there. I'm disapproving and judgmental about my own flaws and inadequacies. 
number 12. I'm intolerant and impatient towards those aspects of my personality I don't like. So score those guys. And then let's, uh, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Jenny. There's a bit of a delay between me sneezing and people blessing me. And then again, here we go. There's a, four of these questions that you need to reverse score. So with number eight, nine, 11 and 12, if you put five, convert it to a one. And then add all those beauties together and divide it by 12. And that will give you your score. What you're looking for is, you know, a three is, is average, somewhere around three, 2.5 to 3.5. Anything below 2.5 would suggest you have low self-compassion currently. Anything above 3.5 suggests you have good self-compassion. Let's find out your scores. If you'd be happy to share them, be interesting to know. If you have any questions about how do you do that scoring thing, Phil? <laughs> it's not that complicated. Divide by 12. You, know, you may know the ancient Sumerians used to use a 12-digit system rather than the 10-digit system. <laughs> actually works much better for things like hours of the day and oh okay scores are coming in anyone get a nil point you can't get a nil point on this game okay so got a little question once it's coming in 2.58 wow that's just you just sneaked over the line there um you're you're moving towards being okay-ish with yourself anything below 2.5 wow it's in quite um what was the score rating? So basically, uh, maximum you get is five, worst you can get is one. So in the middle is three, yeah? So anything either side of three, like two and a half to three and a half is okay. Anything below two and a half is low. Anything closer to five, so between three and a half and five is, is fabulous. Interesting, we've got quite a lot of uh, low to average scores coming up. Um, which is which is good to know, good to notice. Because that means I don't know. Is anyone in, is anyone surprised? So so if you got like a two point five, two point four, that's not a really fabulous score to get on your self-compassion that would suggest you're not very compassionate to yourself obviously don't beat yourself up about that <laughs> uh, but uh, is, for anybody thinking oh, i'm quite surprised it's that low or i thought it would that be that low or i thought it'd be higher or lower yeah Renault is leading the crowd with four um, but we've got some quite low ones. Now, what this means is um, when stuff happens, you are responding to the stuff in quite a harsh way to yourself. So when stuff happens, you're pretty, pretty hard. Uh, 
and that fuels the cycle of you not feeling very good about yourself and of course then expecting to not perform well or be hard on yourself years ago I had a, I had a woman who came to see me lovely girl and she um, had massive low self-esteem or low actually self-compassion and she told me a story about how she had sent an email and she sent the email from her business that she worked for and she realized after she'd sent it that she had pressed she hadn't put a full stop after the final sentence and so she took herself to the toilets and slapped herself really hard on her face a hundred times for having been so ridiculously idiotic to not leave that final full stop but she said I realised when I'd done the 100 slaps that the 97th slap wasn't quite hard enough so I had to do them all again wow um, so you can see how those cycles can become very very kind of repetitious and ingrained and not very healthy because does it really matter that you didn't put the full stop on it's not that big a deal Okay, so um, what have we got people saying here? Uh, Vicky says, thought mine might be low. I'm kinder to others than myself for sure. Uh, Vicky, uh, Mary says the same. Um, if you have a dog, I know Vicky has a dog. What if you were a night? What, what if you loved yourself as much as your dog loved you? <laughs> okay, so. Then let's move to, um, yeah, I think we'll move to, no, let me just tell you a little bit about some of the, the stuff around compassion, self-compassion, generosity, because that might be interesting. If you are someone who gives, so financially you donate to charity, uh, you are somebody who has increased levels of life satisfaction. You have increased happiness and you also have lower mortality. I don't know if they've done a study on how that compares if you have poor, low self-compassion and kindness to others. I think that would be quite an interesting thing to have a look at. Because you don't want to be giving f to people to make up for the feeling of horrific inadequacy in yourself, which is a common thing that people do do. They become over-givers. You remember we talked about rescuers, all that kind of stuff. Um, In the American Indian tradition, they have a big thing about giving away, about when you give things to people, it's, it's a really important thing to do. And there is a recent study uh, where they, they have two people and they say, right, listen guys, you've got a pot of money, okay? And with this pot of money, you can choose how much you divide it up. You've got to divide it in two ways, some to keep, and some to put towards a kind of public pot. And that public pot will then be multiplied by a certain number and shared out amongst everybody, right? So you get to keep your stash that you keep and the bit you put into the public pot gets multiplied by say three and divided up between everyone. Now, the best way to win at this game, i.e. to end up with more cash, is to put nothing in the pot because you don't have to and to keep all the stash for yourself because you'll end up having more money than 
if the stuff goes into the public pocket gets multiplied and shared around it doesn't produce as much money as, as you've given and what they find is people know that and in some studies a certain percentage of people will go ha i'm not putting any of my money in the public pot i'm going to keep it all for myself and these are technically called anyone know what these people are technically called it's actually a scientific term for them they're called free riders so free riders are people who don't pay any taxes if they can possibly help it uh, take everything they can don't share and and keep their stuff for themselves and it's a very successful strategy for having more cash when you die than anybody else but interestingly it's not a very good strategy for being happy or healthy and in the studies they do they find although everyone can logically work out that that's the most effective way to, to, to maintain your cash in most studies most people don't do that most people give money to the pot share there seems to be possibly our mirror neurons or social interaction an importance around contributing and uh, again there's studies that say when we give we get a warm glow we get a, a good feeling it's actually oxytocin dopamine being thrown out around our nucleus accumbens if you're interested that makes us feel not feel nice and of course it's again related to positive health outcomes so giving is nice and you might be interested in this i don't know if anyone's seen this maybe watch this afterwards otherwise you won't be focusing on my brilliant conversations but um have a look at this later on this little link which is all about how much money jeff bezos has it's quite extraordinary um something to keep you amused so let's come back to uh the presuppositions of um NLP. There was actually a couple of questions I wanted to ask, answer that came up. So just going back. Anya. Do some tips for a new exciting diagnosis that you've got. Uh, find it tough to have self-compassion around some issues that are going on for you. so um first step is to be to be really compassionate whatever you have i mean those guys who work with me either as clients or as students will know that one of the most extraordinary processes we we use is something called parts process which is resolving in a conflict in a conflict well we know what conflict is yeah when people are fighting what happens when we're fighting with ourselves what happens when we're having a go at ourselves or we're being driven in two different directions what does that feel like what happens to our body uh, you may well know that the origin of the word health from the greek has the same root as whole whole and health are all about being complete and as soon as we're separate partitioned you and me or even me being two people I don't like this part of me then we're in trouble so let's have a quick look through let's get to the right various slides i'm looking at to this thing here we go so nlp presuppositions nlp has a number of core 
tenets that not uh, what they say is these things aren't true but what if we thought they were what if we worked in the world as if these things were true so the first one is and this is why those a lot of those questions on the self-compassion questionnaire I don't like because a lot of them suggest that you are flawed NLP goes one step further than that and says you nobody what if we imagine nobody was flawed on you what if we thought nobody was broken what if we just saw people doing their very best and actually achieving levels of excellence in all sorts of ways what if we saw that so for instance in certain cultures uh, people with autism uh, or special needs or whatever it may be are seen as valued members of the community that they can connect with different experiences of reality than ordinary people can and are valued in those ways whereas we're very quick to judge people wrong or they broken secondly what if we considered that behind everything that people did i was talking this earlier to uh, kirsten uh, that what if we took a moment to think behind every behavior that other people do there must be a good reason for it we maybe can't see it maybe it's about their childhood maybe they're angry with their dad or pissed off with their wife or we remind them of an old teacher they used to have they didn't like or they're not in a good space or they don't know how to communicate but there's something going on for them that's why their behavior is being a bit weird and and that they're doing their very best to try and manage this crazy neurology that's going on from that's been triggered at the moment what if we thought that and of course the second part of this is what if we thought that about ourselves that behind every behavior we have it's been driven by good reason um georgie says how do you deal with your with being compassionate to yourself and your parents when in lockdown and they're treating me like a child and i'm doing annoyed a lot i have no idea what you're talking about georgie um yeah that's a very very common thing i find myself doing that when i get many of you know this when i go around my mum, i start being a teenager and i'm not a teenager anymore and what you need to do is it's it's toughest to do it when it's occurring the best thing to do with the skills you have from the lightning process and other stuff is to spend a bit of time before the kind of remember we talked about invitations rather than triggers so people talk about triggers they triggered me we say they invited you to get into that particular state before those invitations come flying in think about how do i want to respond to those invitations when they look at me that way talk at me in this way how do i want to be so that you're not responding in a reactive way you're responding in a calm thoughtful way which is more difficult to do on the hoof <laughs> but uh but it's better to do it's easier to do if you've prepared thank you Fleur. i'm doing my best i actually had a good conversation with my mum the other day and it was because i had practiced what i preach for once so behind every behavior is positive intention um number three there is no such thing as failure and again this is this is one of the reasons i got a problem with that uh question now the word failure was thick and fast coming in the, those questions what if we said there is only feedback what if we really took it on that there was no such thing as failure there is only feedback 
because if you think about failure failure is when we say i i hoped or expected something to turn out like this and it turned out like this that's what it really means so it means that we had a hope we had a plan and it didn't work out that way what if we saw it that way and the idea of feedback is that tells us maybe i need to do something different a bit like just what happened in the transmission it stopped it's like i didn't start crying because uh, the signal had failed it was like okay what do i need to do to try and restart this so how can we learn from the experience rather than feel crushed links us into the victim position thing we were talking about a couple of weeks ago and also coach and crash date check it out if you uh, didn't watch the brilliant lucky 13 episode where we looked at coaching crash state so um and the final one worth talking about the map is not the territory really important comes from alfred korzybski and what he says is we all have a version of how we see the world but sometimes we forget it's how we see the world it's not how the world is so we act as if this is the way the world is we're seeing that very interestingly in the world the coronavirus with uh, black lives matter uh, with the economy it, we're starting to see the world in quite a different way and the world isn't any different we're just seeing it in a different way so everybody's coming from different maps is the map there in can you can you step into it and this is again this second position thing i was talking about with, with uh, Kirsten, that sometimes it can be really valuable to step out of your own version of how things are and think, what's it like for this other person? The Mind Body Connection Podcast. The Body and Mind. With your host, Dr. Phil Parker.